I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Thursday, July 6th, 2023, the 897th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'm your moderator.substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free on a wide variety of podcast platforms. And of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So there's been a lot happening the last couple of days, and I want to try to catch up on a bunch of that. But first, I hope that you all had a wonderful 4th of July and got to celebrate America a little bit. There has certainly been some good news 
over the last couple of days, and we'll talk about that. But I want to start with an interesting development in the world of Ron DeSantis. Now, as I've said many times throughout the last eight months, as we have tracked the DeSantis simp campaign, the pre-campaign, the shadow campaign, before Ron finally went out on Twitter spaces and declared to the world that he would be a candidate for the GOP nomination for president. It's hard to know exactly what's going on here. For the six or seven months that shadow campaign was being waged before Ron announced, a lot of people thought that Ron would never announce that this was just an op and would draw out all the anti-Trump donors, all the anti-Trump Republicans. It would put rhinos on full display to the world. And I think that net effects wise, it did all of those things. And so to whatever extent it was for that, it was very effective. But we don't know that it was for that at all. We can't just assume that. There's some convincing reason to believe that for sure, but we don't know it. And I've also said many times that Regardless of whether or not Ron himself represents that, it's pretty clear that the comms team that has been put around him through Christina Pushaw and his comms guy, Brian Griffin, who actually has been using a sock account on Twitter for the last eight months by the name of Max Nordau to troll for Ron and and argue in Ron's favor. He has been exposed through Twitter spaces. He has exactly the same voice and speaking mannerisms as Brian Griffin, and no one has really denied it. But the group of people they put together to do Ron's messaging, commonly known as the DeSantis simps, don't seem to be in on the trick. And I think that primarily because what they spend most of their time doing is attacking Trump supporters. It seems like they could be anti-Trump and draw out the donors and the rhinos without doing that, which makes me think it's probably real and they are actually getting paid or otherwise incentivized by Ron DeSantis. Maybe they think they'll have a shot at power within a DeSantis administration if they can get him across the finish line. Who knows? The thing that makes me believe they might be a pro-Trump red team op and in on it is that they're so bad at supporting Ron. The incompetence is incredible. Every argument they make for Ron is a combination of stupid, dishonest and immoral. And of course, all of them lead back to them being forced to support the idea that Joe Biden got 81 million real lawful American votes or that we have to just simply move on from that election, which in my mind is complicit in the treason. So I leave open the opportunity that Ron is not a bad guy. He is just taking one for the team to expose the donor class and the rhinos within the Republican Party and perhaps exposing the fake news rhino media as well. It's also possible, although I think even less likely that the DeSantis simps are in on it. Now, a lot of people think they're certain that those options might be true. And so they decide to ignore the whole thing. I don't operate that way. I don't think that's smart. If you are certain about something, that's just fine. But if you're certain about something like this, when you have absolutely no evidence other than that intuition and the logical case to make, then that's not certain. And you should consider at least that the thing 
is what it seems to be. I think sometimes on our side of things, the fact that we question everything and that we can find multiple explanations for why something might be happening leads us to believe that one of those alternate explanations is the definite explanation. And then we ignore the issue entirely. And clearly over the last eight months, I don't think anyone has ignored the Ron thing less than I have, because I see that as an institutional threat. This is representative of what the Republican Party establishment is, what they think of Donald Trump and what they think of Donald Trump supporters. That is fully the uniparty right. That is the regime. They are not different than the uniparty left. In fact, they help the uniparty left survive. And the uniparty left helps them survive. That is what the controlled opposition construct is for. So let's at least for the purposes of argument so that we can think the thing through. Let's assume that the face value interpretation of what has transpired over the last eight plus months is in fact real. Ron DeSantis wants to run for president. He is backed by the Bushes, by Karl Rove, by Paul Ryan, by people like Ken Griffin. He has big financial backers. He has globalist backers. He has uniparty right backers and he has uniparty left backers. As the Democrat establishment keeps trying to make Ron DeSantis the real threat of the Republican Party. They're trying to hold him up in opposition to Gavin Newsom because they would love to have Gavin and Ron be the candidates that Americans are allowed to vote for next fall. That is an ideal situation for the uniparty. Both of them are uniparty champions. As far as we can tell, if you don't think that's true for Ron after seeing the last eight months, if you want to take the alternate version, the alternate explanation of what's happening, then why not consider the alternate explanation for Gavin Newsom too? Why can't Gavin Newsom be an undercover white hat if we're going to play this game? And the truth is that he could. I don't believe him to be, particularly not having lived almost the entirety of my adult life in California, but he could be. And you might as well leave your mind open to the possibility if you are going to favor alternate explanations just because you were biased toward liking Ron DeSantis in the first place. And I think that that's what a lot of people are doing. They don't want to admit that Ron DeSantis might be bad because they really liked Ron DeSantis. And that's totally okay. We don't always figure out who people are right from the beginning. Sometimes it takes some litmus tests that they pass or fail. Sometimes you just have to live for a while and see what happens. But if we are assuming that the Ron thing is real, then there have been some pretty substantial developments this week, narrative and otherwise. There is an extent to which all of these developments seem separate. But the fact that there's so many of them and they're all happening around the same date makes them feel like they are more than coincidence. And I have a theory on what might be going on. So let's talk about what those developments are. First, Steve Cortez, a frequent guest on The War Room, an economic advisor who has in the past worked with Donald Trump and supported Donald Trump. He came out a couple of months ago and endorsed Ron DeSantis. He decided that early May 2023, six and a half months 
Since Ron's shadow campaign began, he was already polling in the mid-20s at that point. Now he's down to about 15%. Cortez decided that was when he should go all in. Well, on Sunday night in a Twitter Spaces event, Steve Cortez said, right now in national polling, we are way behind. I'll be the first to admit that. I believe in being blunt and honest. It's an uphill battle, but clearly Donald Trump is the runaway frontrunner. He called the DeSantis campaign the clear underdog and said, in the first four states, which matter tremendously, polls are a lot tighter. We are still clearly down. We're down double digits. We have work to do. So they want to catch up in those polls. And by golly, I'm sure they'll get there. So Cortez framed himself as a teller of difficult truths, but this also became pretty big news. A top DeSantis spokesman was admitting that Ron DeSantis and his campaign were really, really far behind. When asked for comment the next day, Steve Cortez responded to Politico saying, Trump has debated through two successive presidential cycles, so of course he possesses a lot of experience in that arena. But I am convinced that Governor DeSantis will outperform expectations and inform large audiences about his amazing life, political record, and winning agenda for the presidency. He said taking on an incumbent or former president in the primary always represents a significant challenge. I gladly embrace that reality in joining the team. All of us on Team DeSantis remain convinced that the governor has a strong path to the nomination and the best chance of any Republican to defeat Biden in the general election. Clown show. DeSantis campaign spokesman Brian Griffin, a.k.a. Max Nordau on Twitter, says Ron DeSantis has been underestimated in every race he has won. And that's true. In his first race for governor, he would have lost to a gay meth head if not for Donald Trump. Griffin says this time will be no different. Well, yes, it will, because Donald Trump's not endorsing him. Donald Trump has to explain to Republican voters why he didn't do the things he is now promising in his first term as president. Governor Ron DeSantis overdelivered on his promises as governor and has the national vision we need to restore our country, clean out D.C. and lead our great American comeback. This campaign is a marathon, not a sprint. We will be victorious. <laughs> Hilarious. And it's funny that we actually discussed that argument on Monday that he didn't in his first term complete every one of his agenda items and how funny it is to use that as an argument against him while being among the people who helped the regime cover up the fact that there's no way Joe Biden received 81 million real lawful American votes. Everybody knows Trump won. Everybody. Even the polling numbers at this point are showing a large majority of Americans understand that. So Steve Cortez admits that the DeSantis campaign is going really poorly. And while all of that was being reported on Monday, another leading DeSantis simp named Kurt Schlichter wrote an article in town hall called Everybody Chill. We have a White House to win back. And the article makes the case that DeSantis supporters and Trump supporters are actually on the same side and they're going to need each other in order to defeat that mean and nasty Joe Biden, even bigger than Trump defeated him in 2020. 
so that we can make sure the Democrats don't steal it as if the Democrats are the ones doing the stealing. It's the uniparty left and the uniparty right working together as the uniparty they are. That's who selects winners of elections. Democrats versus Republicans means absolutely nothing anymore. And we should be cautious whenever someone is presenting their case using that framing, Democrat versus Republican, especially on election fraud, because it is often an attempt to cover for the uniparty right and blame everything on the uniparty left because Joe Biden was the one who stole the election from Trump. That was not the only stolen election of 2020. And there are plenty of other stolen elections around the country at all levels in multiple election cycles to understand that Democrats aren't the only ones doing election theft. But as you commonly hear from Ron D. Santis supporters, the only thing that matters is winning and beating Joe Biden in 2024 in a rigged election because they certainly are not trying to fix elections. They are not making their argument on the premise that elections will be fixed. They're just saying this is what we need to do to win. And winning is all that matters. And in that way, they are able to take their support of Ron DeSantis over Donald Trump, the duly elected American president who absolutely won in 2020, from being a personal decision and judgment of theirs to simply being a matter of pure pragmatism. They understand it is so important that people with R's next to their name beat the people with D's next to their name in a rigged election in November 2024, 16 months from now, that they're going to support the guy who's supported by the very regime who stole the election. And that is supposed to appeal to everyone their sense of pragmatism. We must defeat Joe Biden at all costs, even if it means leaving rigged elections in place and choosing someone who can win a rigged election. But Schlichter writes an article full of unity cope. We need unity above all else. In fact, we don't need unity above all else. We don't need unity at all. This is a sifting process, and that is the purpose. We are seeing these stories so that we can see who the enemy really is. Let's see who will ultimately lie and give away the country for their own benefit. Schlichter in his article says, the Trump strategy is clear. DeSantis must be crushed and pronto so Trump can glide to an easy nomination. That's not a criticism. That's just an obvious fact. And this is one of the things they say. The Trump people are being so mean. They're attacking Ron DeSantis and all his supporters. Why are they so mean? Don't they understand that what we are ultimately going to need is unity? And so they shouldn't attack Ron. Don't they believe that we should have an open primary and just say, may the best man win, may the best man win, may the best man win thousands and thousands of times over four or five hundred days, even while the man who they keep saying is the best man who ultimately will win slides into the single digits in primary polling. He makes the argument that it's going to be a test of time, that the campaign still has months and months to go, almost a year until they determine the GOP nominee and anything can happen over that time. Now, there is absolutely no reason to believe that Ron DeSantis has any chance of turning this around. 
There's nothing that Ron DeSantis can do to make himself look better relative to Trump. They already tried it and it failed. The product is no good. People don't want it. People don't want a knockoff Trump when they can have Trump, especially when no one trusts the knockoff Trump because the knockoff Trump is helping the regime cover up the election fraud. It just simply isn't going to work. No sale. But Schlichter wants to maintain that all of it is a toss up. And regardless, we have two candidates who will both be much better than Joe Biden. And therefore, we will ultimately unify around that. He says we can live with either Godzilla or King Kong winning compared to the disaster of Krusty 2. Yeah, each side has its reasons for preferring its guy, but one of them needs to win in 2024. That's all that matters or all that should matter. These are the people trying to tear down Trump at every possible opportunity. They are not only going after Trump and trying to destroy Trump. They are also trying to demoralize the movement behind Trump. They're going after Trump supporters, just individual citizens who care about their country and are trying to stand up for what's right. And they have these big media influencers going after them. The whole thing is really pathetic. But what would you expect from these people? Again, either it's a pro-Trump red team op, in which case these guys are convincing the world that they are the worst people ever and everyone should run in Trump's direction or they're being for real. And they are the absolute worst people in professional politics. And I, again, think it's the second one. I mean, consider what sorts of people would line up to work for Ron DeSantis's campaign against Donald Trump, knowing that the 2020 election was stolen. And everyone in professional politics knows that it doesn't matter what they say. They know better. Everyone knows better. When you're looking for people who are willing to cover that up, you are already scraping the bottom of the barrel. And apparently they may have to scrape even lower than that because these guys are making it seem like the DeSantis operation is not long for this world. Schlichter claims that everyone has lost their minds. He's just supporting Ron. That's all. He's just supporting Ron. And he doesn't care what people think. He's being honest. He's being true to himself. He's operating on principle. And that's what has led him to support Ron. So he's not going to back down from that. He's just doing what he thinks is right. And he wants everyone to understand. People can disagree about these things, but still come back together in 2024. No, no, you can't, Kurt. He lets everyone know that if you were friends with him before, you're going to be friends with him after because he understands the need to unify once they fail at destroying Trump and all his supporters. He acknowledges that Trump supporters are indeed patriots, even though he says they don't care about winning next year and are actually just cult members. He says he likes to hear good arguments which is strange for someone who only makes bad arguments. He thinks he's pointing out sloppy thinking and hypocrisies, but he's not because his view of what the world actually is, is only coherent within the false reality. So the things that he thinks are hypocritical are not in fact hypocritical. He just doesn't understand what's going on. He says that he'll vote for the Republican candidate no matter who it is, whether it's DeSantis or Trump or Chris Christie or Nikki Haley. But they're trying to steal and rig the GOP primary 
for anyone other than Donald Trump. So he's hoping that that is successful and his tie ins to the Republican establishment would mean that he probably knows that's what they're intending to do. Put up someone other than Trump and then Trump would obviously move to a third party, maybe with Robert F. Kennedy Jr. I know people don't like that because he has a little D next to his name and said some things that people don't like. Well, hey, guys, remember that Donald Trump did that, too. Remember that Donald Trump had some views that not every conservative loved. And then a few years later, you realized, oh, he was, you know, just leading people along a path so that they would understand what's going on and so that they would focus on the proper priorities. But leaving that aside, Kurt Schlichter says he'll vote for whoever the Republican nominee is. But that doesn't actually mean he's willing to vote for Trump if, for instance, they rig and steal the election for someone else. If they rig and steal the GOP primary for Ron DeSantis, even as a DeSantis supporter, and the majority of the Republican Party knows that the primaries were rigged and stolen, it's not actually an honorable thing to then vote for Ron DeSantis as the GOP nominee. It would still be the honorable thing to support Donald Trump as a write-in candidate or a third-party candidate. There is no time at which it is acceptable to deny or ignore or accept stolen elections. It's never acceptable. If someone has an election stolen from them, that's who good people should be putting their support behind, especially if you're claiming to care about a functioning country or a functioning democracy. So Sunday and Monday, Steve Cortez is accepting reality. Kurt Schlichter is begging for unity, saying, can't we just get along after eight months of trying to destroy Trump and his supporters? And they weren't even the two most freaked out DeSantis simps. That would go to Bill Mitchell, who said that he made Trump in 2016. He got Trump elected and he can unmake Trump. Bill Mitchell, the Internet influencer who everyone thinks is a moron, believes that he made Trump and that he can single handedly take Trump out, which might lead one to wonder why he hasn't done it yet through the last eight plus months while he's been supporting Ron DeSantis. Maybe he's just biding his time. John Cardillo went absolutely batshit as well. A lot of people claim that he is rage tweeting, which a lot of people believe is drunk rage tweeting. I don't know him, so I have no idea whether or not that's true. But in a 24 to 48 hour period, four DeSantis simps are really kind of showing their cards. Two of them are admitting reality and begging for unity. Two of them are absolutely freaking out. And I was wondering why that was, because it didn't make a whole lot of sense. We heard about bad polling. We heard about nervous donors. And the campaign is attempting to explain how Trump not attending the GOP primary debate in August could actually be a really good thing for Ron. But that's not going to be a good thing for anyone. That's just going to be a bunch of also rans complaining about Donald Trump and looking very, very small and not up to snuff. Now, all of this freak out occurred on Monday, July 3rd. And also on Monday, July 3rd, we got this article from Business Insider. Judge blocks new Florida election law signed by DeSantis this spring, calling it the latest assault on the right to vote. A federal judge on Monday put a temporary hold on a new election law that would have imposed more limits on voter registration efforts. 
In May, Governor Ron DeSantis signed SB 7050, a package of Republican-sponsored reforms to Florida's election system, including a ban on non-citizen immigrants helping register voters. Groups that retain certain voter registration information, such as for get-out-the-vote operations, could, under the law, also face felony prosecution. In a blistering decision, Judge Mark Walker of the Northern District of Florida agreed with plaintiffs that such provisions are likely illegal. The Barack Obama appointee wrote in a 58-page ruling, Florida may, of course, regulate elections, including the voter registration process. Here, however, the challenged provisions exemplify something Florida has struggled with in recent years, namely governing within bounds set by the United States Constitution. So their law was very, very bad. Now, we've discussed that law a bit on this show. There were complaints by Trump and others that this election law actually makes it easier for the regime to cheat and manipulate the outcome of elections, which no one would ever believe if they were obsessed with the obsolete Democrat Republican paradigm. Why would Republicans try to make it easier to cheat in elections? It just doesn't make sense within that paradigm. But within the good twin, evil twin paradigm, understanding the uniparty is real, understanding that the uniparty right wants to keep the uniparty in power just as much as the uniparty left does, understanding that they both rely on election theft to remain in power, it would make perfect sense that they would pass laws that would make it easier for the regime to cheat in elections. And that shouldn't be all that hard to believe because Ron DeSantis has done virtually nothing to clean up elections in Florida. Now, that all could be part of a plan. And Ron DeSantis was told to keep his powder dry. We're going to approach the elections in a certain way. There are probably going to be some Trump supporters very mad at you for not doing anything about Florida's elections. But we need to do this thing. So you're going to have to take the hit for a little bit. If that's the situation and Ron said, I understand I will do that, then good for Ron, and we'll find that out one day. But otherwise, Ron hasn't done virtually anything to help Florida's elections at all, and he does not say publicly in any way whatsoever that our elections are routinely stolen, including in Florida. But the key here is that on Monday, a judge has blocked the implementation of that law. It is not a final decision. He may decide that law is just fine constitutionally. It could be appealed and go to other levels. But right now, that law has been blocked. What else was in SB 7050 that Ron D. Santis signed near the end of May? Well, this is from WTSP, the CBS affiliate in Tampa, Florida. His pathway to a presidential campaign, this being Ron, is paved in part by recent changes made by Florida's GOP-controlled legislature that will allow him to run without having to resign as governor. The measure, attached to a much broader elections bill, carves out an exemption to Florida law requiring anyone seeking office to resign from the one they already hold after qualifying as a candidate. DeSantis signed the bill, which takes effect July 1st, hours before officially launching his campaign. So he signed the GOP legislature's election bill changing multiple different election regulations claimed to actually make it easier to open loopholes for manipulation, election fraud, election theft in Florida, 
and also allowed him to run for president as governor without resigning as Florida governor. So Ron has been running in his official campaign for about six weeks, and the Florida law that he signed that allowed him to run without resigning from his office as governor has now been blocked by a federal judge. Now, again, that block is currently a temporary block, and it is also possible that the judge might strike parts of the bill and not others. The timing on this decision is very strange. It gets handed down on Monday, the same day that four different DeSantis simps are either having public meltdowns on Twitter or running for the hills. That's pretty weird, isn't it? Now, if this temporary block of this GOP legislature bill changing election laws in Florida and allowing Ron DeSantis to run without resigning becomes a permanent block of the entire law, then what does Ron DeSantis do? Does he resign to run? And what should we make of the fact that Ron has run for six weeks on the basis of a bill that proved to be unconstitutional, according to this federal judge? What would be the remedy for something like that? And then what would Ron do? I have a feeling he would probably suspend his campaign, and that is how they would say it. We're suspending our campaign while this issue makes its way through the courts. And that would be very convenient for Ron. He could go back to being Florida governor, the job he was just elected to do nine months ago that he hasn't really done at all since then. The job he raised tens of millions of dollars for telling Florida voters that he was going to stick around and be their governor. He hasn't been their governor much at all this year. He's just been focused on first the shadow campaign and now his real campaign for president. It provides him a lot of cover. He could simply say, well, you know, I would have to resign to run now. I respect the court's decision. And so I am going to remain Florida's governor and I will suspend my campaign. And who knows, maybe in the future, if things go really bad for Trump and he ends up imprisoned, Ron could simply say, well, you know, I think that this is such an important moment that I am going to resign my position as Florida governor and reenter the presidential race. I think my party and my country needs me. Narratively speaking, that is probably the best case scenario for Ron. Now, alternatively, let's think about what we've learned over these last six weeks that Ron has been campaigning despite this law's status being up in the air. At this point, it would have basically been a trial balloon. The donors, the GOP establishment would have put Ron out there and said, hey, go get him, Ron. And he had a six week test. He failed that test, and now they get to get out of it while keeping him in his position as Florida governor. Then we have this today at CNN. Florida GOP will require 2024 candidates to sign loyalty pledge to qualify for primary ballot. So Donald Trump is going to have to sign a Florida GOP loyalty pledge in order to appear on Florida's primary ballot. He needs to sign a pledge to support the Republican Party's eventual nominee in order to qualify for the primary ballot next year. From the article, the new pledge in Florida is similar to a Republican National Committee requirement to qualify for next month's first presidential debate, under which participants have to sign a pledge, quote, agreeing to support the eventual party nominee. 
At least one candidate, former Texas Representative Will Hurd, has already said he will not sign Florida's pledge, even if that decision excludes him from the state ballot. And he takes the opposite end approach. He says, the issue is not with me supporting a Republican nominee. The issue is I am not going to support Donald Trump. How bold. Now, Donald Trump is almost definitely going to skip that GOP debate. There is absolutely no reason for him to debate. These people are smaller than him. They are irrelevant. He doesn't need to appear on stage with Chris Christie and Asa Hutchinson and Ron DeSantis so they can all use the opportunity to attack Donald Trump in the most clever way and make themselves media darlings. There is no advantage for Trump there. We don't care about seeing him debate these clowns. So why in the world would he do it? And he likely won't. But if you were the GOP and you knew that you would be rigging and stealing the primaries for some anti-Trump candidate, then you would want people to sign a loyalty pledge, most especially Donald Trump. You would love to have Trump say that he will support the GOP nominee no matter who it is and then be forced to hold himself to that after they rig and steal the election. But he's not going to do that. Loyalty pledges are nonsense. Just as there is no benefit in Trump debating the other GOP pretenders, there is also no benefit in him signing a loyalty pledge. He doesn't need the support of these other candidates. They don't actually have the backing of any voters. And they certainly won't be able to convince any voter out there who would be voting for Donald Trump that they instead should abstain or vote for Joe Biden in the event that Ron DeSantis or Chris Christie or Nikki Haley doesn't become the nominee. This policy is designed only to target Donald Trump. There is no other reason to put this policy in place. No one should have to sign a pledge of loyalty to a political party. Now, there is another way to look at this where it would be more rational to sign a loyalty pledge, and that is understanding that the RNC and DNC are private corporations whose purpose is to elect politicians to office. And to that extent, if they were going to be willing to consider some candidate as the nominee of their party, they would want to know that that candidate if he lost, would not go out and run his own race. So from a practical business standpoint for the RNC, it makes sense to do that. And I argued in 2016 that the DNC didn't have any reason to bend their rules in Bernie Sanders' favor because their goal was to choose the nominee who had the best chance of winning. Applying that same logic here, the corporation gets to make its own decision. But as I said in 2016, and as I'll say now, if the corporation is going to make its own decision, then they should stop pretending that the voters have some role in the primary process. We didn't always have primaries. They are not required in any way by the Constitution. If the corporations want to select their own candidates, more power to them. But we should stop pretending that the voters have some role to play. Now, regardless, it seems quite obvious that this new rule by the Florida GOP is targeted directly at Donald Trump. And it means that if Trump refuses to sign this pledge and the Florida GOP goes through with this, Trump will receive zero delegates from Florida. 
making it easier for a non-Trump candidate to win. And Florida isn't the only state doing that. I mentioned how Gavin Newsom and Ron DeSantis were essentially two sides of the same coin. They are the two most promising figures of the uniparty left and the uniparty right, respectively. They are two traditional mold presidential candidates, middle-aged white men who are clean and articulate, as Joe Biden described Barack Obama in 2008. Here is what California is doing. Laura Loomer has exposed this. This is on her Substack, lauralumer.substack.com. And I know a lot of people don't like Laura Loomer. I don't really have an opinion about her. I only care what the net effects are and whether or not she's right. It seems like she is in this case. And because she is, it's a damn good thing she did this, regardless of anyone's personal feelings about her. She writes in her Substack, I have obtained exclusive documentation, which proves that the California GOP specifically California GOP chairwoman Jessica Patterson, along with California RNC National Committee woman Harmeet Dillon and committee man Sean Steele, are trying to amend the bylaws regarding the presidential delegation process in California as it relates to the RNC's nomination of the 2024 GOP nominee. Now, you will remember Harmeet Dillon is an attorney. She is the attorney who was representing D.C. Drano a.k.a. Rogan O'Hanley, who is going after the social media companies for censoring him. And she was running to be the RNC national chairperson, taking Ronna McDaniel out of that position. Mike Lindell also ran. Harmeet Dillon didn't debate Mike Lindell. She had Caroline Wren go debate Lindell in her stead. And if you remember back to that process in January... People were freaking out that Rona McDaniel was kept in place. And a lot of people said that Donald Trump specifically requested Rona McDaniel keep her place. People were mad at Donald Trump for doing that. And they said Donald Trump wants to continue the Republican culture of losing. We have to get Harmeet Dillon in there. And all of those people doing it, though many people denied it at the time, were Ron DeSantis simps. And isn't that strange? The establishment media figures who were not censored off Twitter at any point, all of them supporting Ron DeSantis, wanted Harmeet Dillon to be the RNC chair. And here we have the DeSantis simps freaking out and Harmeet Dillon directly connected to another anti-Trump effort in California. Laura Loomer writes, Essentially, the California GOP is trying to amend the winner-take-all standard for the California delegation process, which has been in place for years, so they can award delegates to the GOP candidate who comes in second place as a way to counter delegate wins for President Trump in New Hampshire and Iowa, since California has 169 delegates, which is the most delegates out of any state in the country. If the current national polling trends were to remain the same until the California GOP primary, the proposed bylaw amendment to California's allocation of convention delegates could possibly result in more than 50 of California's 169 delegates being allocated to Ron DeSantis, who is currently polling in second place after President Trump, who has a 40 point national lead over DeSantis as the GOP frontrunner. So the Big thing to focus on the takeaway here is that California's 169 delegates 
were all given in a winner-take-all fashion prior to this year. 169 delegates would go to the winner, but now they've changed it. Now there might be as many as 50 delegates going to the second place finisher. And that is a massive difference. Instead of 169 delegates all going to one place, creating a 169 delegate gap between first place and second place, now it would be 119 to 50 if this example is accurate. And that creates a gap of only 69. That is a difference in the size of the gap between first and second of 100 delegates. That is multiple smaller states worth of delegates. Loomer is claiming this was done intentionally to harm Donald Trump and his chances of being the GOP nominee. They can't stop his momentum. They can't get actual voters to go out and vote against Trump. So instead, they're going to rig the system against him in as many ways as possible. We just discussed one in Florida, one of the other most populous states, and therefore one of the most delegate rich states in the country. And now we're talking about California, the single most delegate rich state in the country. Harmie Dillon responded saying, I see there is some fake news being spread about changes to California GOP bylaws. The date of California's primary has changed to Super Tuesday. So our delegate apportionment method must also change to a proportional method or we lose convention delegates. Our primary used to be later, allowing for a different winner take all system. The Democrat governor changed the primary date, not the California GOP. Personally, I preferred the winner-take-all system used for our last real convention in 2016, but RNC rules compel a different rule for earlier primaries. This would be easy to verify by anybody who understands the system, has gone to a convention, and comprehends how to read the rules. As there is a looming RNC deadline to pass qualifying rules, we are making a change whose final wording remains to be determined by our rules committee and by vote of our executive committee later this month. Also, there is no plan for California Republicans to endorse in the presidential primary, and I would vigorously oppose such a plan. Republican voters must decide. In this matter, I answer to California Republican voters and nobody else. The fact that someone is trying to clout chase and create drama by spreading misinformation about legally necessary rules changes is unfortunate but predictable. So she is going after Laura Loomer's character, motivations, and intelligence, all of which are ad hominem arguments and do not address the case at all. In that final paragraph, she addressed the substance of the case in the three paragraphs prior, and I wrote a post in response to that, and my response was retweeted by Laura Loomer, so she agrees with this, having done all the work in exposing this in the first place, believes I'm on the right track, I wrote. One. The Democrats change the rules, not us, even though the uniparty left and uniparty right work together. That is part of Harmeet's explanation. It was the Democrat governor. The Democrats change the rules. And so now we just have to abide by those rules. Number two, in order to not be punished by the RNC at the convention, we have to change things in a way that benefits the GOP establishment. So the argument Harmeet Dillon made was that the RNC would remove California delegates. California would have fewer delegates if they kept the winner-take-all system in place. They would not be given 169 delegates. They would be given fewer delegates because the RNC does not want 
California to decide the winner of the primary that early in the game by giving Donald Trump all their delegates. Trump would win all of the early states. And then on Super Tuesday, that massive win in California would basically make the nomination a done deal in March. And the GOP establishment doesn't want that. So the solution is one of two things. Either do this proportional allotment of delegates in order to harm Trump and keep the gap between Trump and the also rands much smaller, or they can just have delegates taken away. And Harmeet says it's for the benefit of California voters that their delegates not get taken away. But that makes no sense because from Trump's perspective as the winner, he's having delegates taken away from him in either scenario. If they reduce the number from 169 to something lower, those would be Trump delegates that Trump isn't getting. And if they do the proportional thing and Trump wins, Trump is getting fewer delegates in that scenario, too. Then Harmeet Dillon goes on to say that they will not endorse a candidate. And that means that no matter how much Trump is winning by, the California GOP will not endorse a candidate, which means, of course, that they are endorsing someone other than Trump. Otherwise, they would just endorse the obvious winner. In either case, Trump gets fewer delegates and it helps the also rans in a major way. So we are seeing multiple anti-Trump election rigging efforts by the GOP establishment. And it comes in the two very states where the future of the uniparty left, Gavin Newsom, and the future of the uniparty right, Ron DeSantis, are the governors. That's incredible, isn't it? The uniparty left and the uniparty right working together to dispose of Donald Trump and end the American populist movement. Now, are Gavin and Ron both working together in some covert way to help Donald Trump? I suppose it's possible. It's just extraordinarily unlikely. And if you agree that it's unlikely, it might be time to recognize that everything Ron DeSantis is doing seems to be explicitly in favor of the regime who stole the 2020 election and steals every other election. Ron hasn't done anything to fix election fraud in Florida, at least nothing we know about so far, aside from opening up some state investigation board controlled by the governor. Now, this argument between Loomer and Harmeet Dillon has lumped in a few other people. Unfortunately, Article 3 Project's Mike Davis has gotten involved on the side of Harmeet Dillon, saying that he doesn't believe that she would be part of this anti-Trump effort because his interest is in defending his friend. It really has not gone all that well for Mike Davis, who I have really, really enjoyed the last couple of years. And I am happy to continue giving him the benefit of the doubt, but he should learn the lesson and everybody should learn the lesson that defending someone's bad behavior because they're your friend in this day and age of American politics, where people are focused on getting down to the truth and eliminating corruption is not a good thing. The idea that everyone is on the same side as Kurt Schlichter tries to claim has proven untrue. These people are not our friends. You know who your friends are. You know them in person. You talk to them. They know things about you. You know things about them. Following one another on social media and having conversations back and forth in the replies a few times over the course of years is not friendship. 
Now, it would be nice to assume that all of these people are good. There's just no reason to do that. Harmeet Dillon, as I said, ran to be the national RNC chair, and apparently Trump kept Ronna McDaniel in place. Those are the reports. I don't know the machinations. I don't know how it happened. All I know is that Ronna McDaniel is still the RNC chair and Harmeet Dillon isn't. And the DeSantis simps melted down about it. Her defense of her position has not been good. She has backtracked from that position over the last couple of days. And there really isn't any conclusion to be drawn from this other than this is another effort to rig the GOP primary against Donald Trump. You can't just come out and say, well, someone else made the rules and we have no choice but to follow them. It's you making the rules. And they weren't even being honest about having to follow those rules. It's the RNC's rules. They're not mad that Gavin Newsom pushed the California primary date up. California has the most rigged elections in the country. California's delegates being dispersed early on changes the entire outlook of the primary. And that's why they're doing it. It changes the outlook of that primary for the explicit benefit of the regime supported candidates. There's absolutely no reason to believe that they intended anything other than that. I do not know what it's going to take for people to understand that Trump is the only option, particularly for Republican voters. If you want to fix this country, if you want to fix our elections, there is only Trump. There's nothing else. I'm sorry that you don't like the sound of his voice. I'm sorry that you don't like how he upsets your liberal friends. There just is not another choice. They're trying to arrest and imprison him. And people don't understand that they would steal elections, that Trump is the man they're actually scared of, not Ron DeSantis. And his own party is trying explicitly to rig the primary elections and promote anyone other than Trump. They're doing that because Donald Trump presents an existential threat to the way they have always run things. That is why he is absolutely the only choice. Now, switching subjects without a segue. On Monday, we also discussed Elon Musk and the changes he made to Twitter over the weekend, making it impossible for these AI companies, these large language models to train their algorithms on Twitter data. He made it so that unless an account was verified, they were limited to seeing a very small number of tweets, not enough to be able to execute the programs they were formerly executing. And that would make the censorship regime much harder, it would make it more difficult for them to understand and analyze narratives and respond to the narratives that they found inconvenient. A lot of people believed at first that this was Elon Musk making it so people had to pay for his service to be able to use Twitter properly. People called it a censorship effort, somehow related to the riots in France. And then you had people like me and Mike Benz, the former State Department official working in cyber issues under Donald Trump, who understands all of this far better than I do, saying that this might be Elon Musk striking directly at the heart of that censorship regime. So while all of this is going on, Meta, formerly Facebook, is rolling out an app they call Threads. 
it is apparently some sort of cross between Instagram and Twitter. Basically, the format and the bones of Instagram, but focused more on Twitter style posting rather than just displaying a gallery of pictures. There are also a handful of other potential Twitter competitors launching, and Variety Magazine posted an article on Monday with the headline Quitting Twitter? Here are six alternatives from Threads to Blue Sky and Spill. So, Threads is one of the alternatives. Blue Sky is another one by Jack Dorsey. That is supposed to be one of the more decentralized apps, as is Mastodon, one of the other listed alternatives. They have another called Spill, one called Post.News, and one called T2 Social. So there are these other social media apps being launched and marketed as Twitter alternatives. People are upset at Elon Musk. People are upset at voices that were formerly censored, now developing a voice on Twitter. They feel threatened by that. They want to go to a platform other than Twitter, so that they can have a Twitter-like experience somewhere else. And by a Twitter-like experience, I mean an app where the conversation is tailored to keep them feeling comfortable as they did on Twitter during a time of greater censorship than exists right now. This is the sort of response you might expect at a time where Elon Musk is making it harder for the censorship regime to operate on Twitter successfully. Without the ability to scrape, they can't understand these narratives via algorithm and AI, and then they can't produce effective counter-narratives and censorship operations based on that same data. Now, if I'm correct in my interpretation of this, and I believe I am because my thoughts are backed up as one of the options Mike Benz presented over the weekend, then it will be interesting to see how the censorship unfolds on these other platforms. Will people notice the shadow banning? Will they notice the labeling of posts? Will they notice when posts are taken down? Will they notice when they're not seeing people's content, even though they follow those people? Will they notice the proliferation of corporate fact checks that don't make sense? And will they notice that an entirely different conversation is happening on another platform? If Twitter remains the dominant platform online in influencing the public narrative about politics and culture, then it will probably become clear pretty quickly that Facebook and Instagram and YouTube and Google and all of these other alternatives are still embracing that old style censorship regime. I think it'll be very telling when we see how people respond to all of this. Do they believe that they are getting the truth on these other censored platforms? Maybe they don't care. Maybe they'll find these other platforms to be fun and entertaining. Maybe they will enjoy the attention they get on these other platforms, and it won't matter whether or not the truth exists on there. But I kind of think that people are waking up and they are going to realize that important things being said over on Twitter are simply not allowed on these other platforms. And if people are waking up, that's not going to work out very well for these other platforms. It was easy in 2020 and 2021 for these same people to dismiss apps like Parler or Gab and then later Getter and Truth Social. They could say those are the white supremacist sites. Those are the conspiracy theorist sites. And people would just ignore them. 
But a couple years later, people realized that's just not true. And it wasn't really ever true. And regardless, they're not going to be able to paint Twitter that way. They've tried. They have tried to say that Elon Musk has created a white supremacist site where people are just posting racial slurs and ethnic slurs and homophobic slurs all day and night. They tell us that the numbers are off the charts. They can't believe how mean and rude Twitter has gotten. They've tried 50 different ways to convince the public that Twitter is now a dangerous space of conspiracy theories and white supremacy, but it hasn't really worked, which means people are still paying attention to Twitter. Even a lot of the people who go and sign up on threads will still be paying attention to Twitter. They will use them side by side. They're not going to switch away from Twitter to threads. There are going to be people on the uniparty right side and probably some MAGA people who will look to re-embrace Meta, formerly Facebook, in order to farm attention somewhere else. And I suppose there's at least some argument about how that could be an effective use of social media at this point in time, though I doubt it. Regardless, I think it's a bad idea to connect yourself and give all of your data over to Meta once again, particularly if you're one of the people who has left those platforms as I have. But people who continue to use Twitter and then use threads or one of these other alternatives will probably notice pretty quickly that major pieces of the public conversation being had on Twitter simply don't exist on these other platforms. And they might begin to wonder why they might begin to wonder why those ideas are being censored off of these alternative platforms. At some point, you would hope it will dawn on them that it's because these censored ideas are actually true and that's what makes them dangerous. So while that will make the censorship more obvious to the users of these platforms, the big news we received on the 4th of July should make it more obvious to everyone that the government was directly involved in censorship in direct violation of the First Amendment rights of its citizens. We have had it argued to us for years that the government and the social media companies are not working together. The social media companies are private companies and therefore allowed to censor. We were told that it was not the government doing it, nor was it the government delegating it. Well, that was false the entire time. And now the courts agree. This is Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey, who picked up the Missouri and Louisiana case when he replaced Eric Schmidt as Missouri's Attorney General. In a Twitter thread yesterday, he wrote, Yesterday, we obtained an order to halt what the court described as the Biden administration's massive attack against free speech unseen before in United States history. Some notable points from the judge's order in our landmark free speech case, Missouri versus Biden. The judge noted the censorship emanating from the federal government looks a lot like George Orwell's 1984 that, quote, the evidence produced thus far depicts an almost dystopian scenario and that the feds appear to have, quote, assumed a role similar to an Orwellian ministry of truth. The court points out that the 20,000 plus pages of evidence my office uncovered display the frightening coercion and collusion occurring between the feds and social media companies. The court found that this evidence showed, quote, unrelenting pressure 
by federal officials and had, quote, the intended result of suppressing millions of protected free speech postings by American citizens. The court also found that the evidence shows the feds targeted almost exclusively conservative speech, except when they decided to target the president's political opponent who was running against him in the Democrat primary. Here are just a couple disturbing facts that the court found at least 22 times, quote, White House defendants engaged in coercion to induce social media companies to suppress free speech. They, quote, made it very clear to social media companies what they wanted suppressed. Now, this isn't breaking news to any of us who have been following this the whole time and have experienced it ourselves. And it's not breaking news to people who have followed the release of the Twitter files, which seems at this point to be pretty clearly a disclosure operation, very controlled in order to alert the public so that when they see something like this, they have a better understanding of exactly what's going on. Bailey goes on. Faced with unrelenting pressure from the most powerful office in the world, the social media companies apparently complied. And that was a quote from the judge. Here, the court finds that the feds didn't just force content takedowns. They also coerced social media platforms to change their policies. The feds have been trying to defend their acts by saying tech companies just censored according to their terms of service. Not so. Tech companies were forced to change their terms of service. One policy that companies were pressured to adopt or change was their hacked materials policy. Here, the court noted that the FBI repeatedly pushed tech companies to adopt new policy prohibiting posting hacked materials. That mattered because the FBI told tech companies to expect, quote, a hack and leak operation that would involve Hunter Biden. But the court specifically found that the FBI knew that the Hunter Biden information was not Russian disinformation. And of course, they knew because they had the laptop for a year when the letter from the 51 former intelligence officials was written. The FBI's deception led to censorship of the Hunter Biden laptop story. He goes on here. The court finds that federal officials also pressured Facebook to censor information that, quote, did not violate Facebook's policies. In other words, content was taken down that would not have been but for pressure from the feds. He says the court finds that former White House press secretary Jen Psaki issued a threat of legal consequences to social media companies if they do not censor misinformation more aggressively. And they cite Psaki's public comments. The court found that the motivation of Dr. Anthony Fauci and other defendants was specifically a takedown of protected speech. The court found that defendants in the Department of Homeland Security, which was created to stop threats of terrorism, wrongly, quote, believe they had a mandate to control the process of acquiring knowledge. That is rather shocking. He says the judge notes that the feds want to censor, quote, with regard to other issues such as gas prices, parody speech, calling the president a liar, climate change, gender and abortion and criticism about, quote, U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan and the return of U.S. support of Ukraine. That is what you might expect in a totalitarian, authoritarian, dictatorial Banana Republic, all criticism of the state is eligible for censorship. 
That is what this regime is. Bailey writes, COVID was merely a Trojan horse, the beginning of this vast censorship enterprise to see how far they could take this thing. Last and most importantly, the court warned there is nothing stopping the feds from continuing to censor political speech without its injunction. This injunction is a huge win in our court battle against the largest First Amendment violation in American history. The fight for our freedoms is just beginning. Stay tuned. Bailey also noted in his posts when the decision was released on July 4th, the preliminary injunction prohibits nearly all of the federal government, including DHS, DOJ and HHS from coercing and colluding with social media companies to censor free speech, among other things. He also notes key officials of the White House, CDC, FBI, State Department and other agencies are also blocked from participating in the federal government's vast censorship enterprise. Now, the game's not over, but this is massive. The evidence makes clear and the court agrees that the federal government was working to censor the First Amendment protected political speech of American citizens. The federal government was violating the First Amendment rights of American citizens en masse. They were doing it specifically to quash dissenting narratives and maintain power. This did not just benefit Democrats. It benefited the Uniparty, the Uniparty left and the Uniparty right. Members of the Uniparty right complain about censorship now. But where were they then? They were promoting the entire COVID agenda, just like their friends on the Uniparty left. There weren't any rallies. There weren't any conferences to protect the political speech of those of us who were actually censored and banned. People like the Daily Wire crew and these DeSantis simps use that censorship to pretend they themselves are victims and not part of the problem. Now, again, this isn't the end of the game, but it's real good progress. If you've been following this podcast for a long time, you will know that I have always believed this is all headed in this direction. I believe fully that the social media companies will be held to account for all of this, as will the government, because it is so blatant. It is such an obvious violation of the First Amendment, and it is so obvious that the government and the social media companies were colluding to violate the First Amendment. I have said countless times that the social media companies were not operating as private companies. Instead, they were state actors doing the business of the state that the state was barred from doing itself. It delegated that authority to private companies in violation of the Constitution. They are not allowed to do that. There was clearly no way that the public wasn't going to find out because all of the evidence was there and everyone was understanding that censorship was real. Now, some people were supporting it, but they weren't saying it wasn't real. Now the connections are made. The court agrees that the connections were made. So consider what this means for those other cases that are being pushed, seeking accountability, not only from the social media companies, but from the government. I would expect at some point we're going to start hearing about class action lawsuits. And I certainly hope that I am included among the benefactors because everyone who was censored and banned deserves to be. And I expect they will be to some degree or another. 
And as you might imagine, the re from the side of the censorship is deafening. I will leave you with this. This is Mike Barnacle on MSNBC. And you keep wondering, when is America going and when are Americans going to say, what is wrong with these people? What has happened to this country in the sense of what the Republicans have done to this country? You, you can take the MAGA judges. You can take the judge down in Louisiana who recently just basically voided the First Amendment of this country. Just per, perhaps voided it. You can take the comments of any of the candidates, almost all of the candidates, and they've got something terrible to say about this country on an everyday basis. They're attacking the FBI. They're attacking the Department of Justice. They attack the American military. We're wrong to be in Ukraine, to stand up for democracy and for the liberty and the freedom of a specific country in Europe, Ukraine. They're against all of that, and the darkness is slowly starting to develop all of the political talk that we hear and show each and every morning on this program and other programs. I'd prefer to talk about Ellie De La Cruz, Shoei mm. Otani, and the upcoming All-Star Game, but that's not our reality. We'll get to that, Mike. Don't okay. worry. So they've voided the First Amendment, and he would rather talk about baseball. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at I'mYourModerator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm Your Moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!